Hi, everybody. This is Sarah, and I get to be the pastor over at Exchange in Green Bay, and I'm so glad that we get to have this time together and hang out. Um, if you would, go ahead and tell me in the chat box, where are you from? Tell me your name and where you're from. You could use a nickname if you want to as you're logging in to the chat, but tell me your name and, and where you're from or your nickname and where you're from. Um, and while you're doing that, I was wondering if you could just think for a minute about a conflict that you've had recently. I don't know about you, but I tend to have these a little more often than I like to admit. Um, maybe an Instacart driver left your groceries on the sidewalk in front of your apartment. That could be a thing. Um, maybe you got into it with your spouse or your roommate um, because you're pretty sure that you have been the one to unload the dishwasher the last 12 times while they've pretty much just let you do it. Or maybe right before you were churching online here just now, maybe you got frustrated with somebody on social media and you couldn't stop yourself from turning into a keyboard warrior. It happens. And I have to admit, I'm just not a stranger to conflict. Conflict happens for many, many reasons. And sometimes it's just more often than I would like to admit. So how about you? How many of you guys love conflict? Anybody? Um, if you do, go ahead and hit like or hit a heart in the comment or leave a comment in the chat box um, because I'm going to want to talk to you about that later. Right? If you're a lover of conflict, we need to talk. Most of us don't like conflict. In fact, many of us hate conflict. But the reality is that conflict is everywhere, right? Conflict shows up in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of relationships. Um, yeah. Conflict shows up in all kinds of situations and in all kinds of relationships. And while conflicts we have um, over grocery delivery, over dishes, on social media, aren't really all that significant, what about those conflicts where business relationships end up damaged or lifelong friendships end up severed, family relationships get torn apart? We all experience conflict. Most, like, most likely, I don't have to convince you that if those conflicts are left unaddressed, that these conflicts damage relationships. We all know that. But today, I want us to focus on something else. I want us to focus on the question, what is conflict doing to our souls? Today, we're continuing the series, Simplify. And last week, Stephen talked about how life often feels overwhelming, that we can go through our days feeling anxious and tired, and we blame much of it on external things. We keep ourselves overly busy. But what if the real problem is internal? What if the issue is the clutter in our souls? The clutter of hurt, the clutter of anger, the clutter of bitterness. What is this internal clutter doing to us? What's it doing to our souls? The clutter of conflict shrinks our capacity for connection. All of this unresolved hurt and anger and bitterness it can keep us from having that capacity or the ability to have meaningful relationships. It's sort of like when you're taking some of the most amazing pictures, a, a super significant event, or your dinner plate, and all of a sudden that annoying storage full pops up. This happens to you guys, right? Go ahead and heart or like response that so that I know I'm not alone because this happens to me all the time and it bothers me. But <laughs> it happens to you too, right? In that same way that that storage full message pops up, a soul that's cluttered with hurt or anger or bitterness can crowd out space for the relationship connection that we're actually looking for 
So how do we unclutter our souls? Well, we can do that through simplifying um, our practices by forgiving. Now, as soon as I say the word forgiveness, all sorts of things start to pop through your head. And um, I know they do mine. Thoughts like, I don't know if I can forgive, or I tried, but I can't. Um, I don't even want to forgive. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Go ahead and let me know in the chat box what pops into your head when you hear the word forgiveness. Oftentimes when we talk about forgiveness, we focus on what is expected from us in order to forgive. But today I'd like to take a different look at it and think about it just a little bit differently. Let's think about what forgiveness can do for us. There's an author who said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Forgiveness clears the clutter from our souls and it helps to simplify our lives. Before we continue, I think that any conversation about forgiveness needs this disclaimer, right? We need to make sure we all understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We've all heard that phrase, forgive and forget. And I hate that one. <laughs> I just wonder if it's even possible. Can you actually forgive and forget? The myth here is that we have to forget this offense if we're going to forgive it. And that if we don't forget, our forgiveness isn't sincere. And that's just not true. You may not forget, but your forgiving can be genuine, even if you remember what happened. Forgiving is not excusing. When you forgive someone, you're not excusing their behavior. In fact, you're actually holding them accountable for their behavior. Um, when you choose to forgive, it implies that there was something that needed forgiving in the first place. Forgiveness doesn't just look the other way. It actually addresses the problem. And number three, forgiving is not reconciling. In many cases, the goal of forgiveness will be reconciliation. But I want to be very clear that forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation, especially in situations where there's some sort of abuse that has taken place. Sometimes the best and wisest thing is to not reconcile. It is wise and best for that relationship to end sometimes, even though you have forgiven the person. Some relationships come and go, and there are situations where that's just okay. So if that's what forgiveness is not, where can we find out what forgiveness is? Well, we're churching online, so we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to the teachings of Jesus. In Matthew 18, Jesus has a little chat about forgiveness with one of his disciples named Peter. It starts when Peter comes to him and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, before we get into what Jesus had to say, um, we have to just take a moment and understand the times that this was set in. When Jesus um, and Peter were having this conversation, the culture was a little bit different. And the fact that Peter is even asking how many times shows that he already knows that he's supposed to forgive. So we might say, well, yeah, of course he's supposed to forgive. Everybody knows that. It's common knowledge. But that's not really how a first century person would typically think. According to one historian, Ancient Greek popular morality was pervaded by the assumption that one should help one's friends and harm one's enemies. 
according to Aristotle, revenge or retaliation is just, noble, and courageous. So in the first century, conflicts were viewed on a line. This line where you are on one side and I'm on the other. This you and me line. And if you wronged me, I had an obligation to reciprocate. My honor was at stake, right? Um, if I just let that offense go, I would be accused of being a coward. Retaliation is just the noble thing to do. So the fact that Peter knows that he's supposed to forgive shows that he's already starting to get it. He's already starting to understand that something is different. And the fact that he suggests forgiving seven times, I mean, this would have seemed more than generous. It might even seem more, more than generous to us. But um, I can imagine that Peter is just asking this question. He's got all this confidence, right? Seven times, Lord, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Seven times. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus' response actually takes forgiveness to this whole new level. Basically, Jesus says forgiveness doesn't have a limit. And then he tells this story that redefines forgiveness for Peter. And the story goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before, before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So the servant owed the king this ridiculous amount of money, right? The English translation calls it 10,000 bags of gold, but scholarly um, people will say some, that it was probably equal to more like 193,000 years worth of wages. There's this astronomical amount of money that we can't even fathom. This servant owed more money than he could ever repay. Yet in his mercy, the king cancels his debt. And the story continues. But when that servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. A hundred silver coins. What is the size of this debt? Roughly four months worth of wages. And the servant who had just had a zillion dollars just canceled responds like that. But he refused, he, it says. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Are you kidding me with this? This guy is insane. Like, he's been forgiven this zillion dollars. He turns around and refuses to let someone else off for just a few thousand dollars. What a jerk, right? He's a jerk. Yet, we're all like that guy. We're all like that jerk. Sometimes I get offended by the smallest things. Like, when somebody cuts me off on the highway, when I know they saw those lane closure signs three miles back just like I did, it irritates me. I get offended. My blood pressure starts to rise, right? <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that. So, as you might expect, when the king finds out about it, he's pretty ticked off. He calls a servant back into his throne room, and he asks him, how could you have done such a thing? The wicked servant is thrown into prison, 
until he can't until he can repay his debt which we all know is never going to happen so in Jesus' story the king represents god and the servant is you and me so what was so countercultural in Jesus' story is that he does something people in that day would never do they never would have thought about this when it came to conflict and that's he brought god into the equation so remember in that first century culture conflict it was viewed on a line that line between you and me on that one line and if you're wronged i have an if i'm wronged i have an obligation to retaliate but jesus says no you don't need to view these conflicts like that you can view it as a triangle right and you just need to bring god into it add god to that triangle Jesus redefines conflict, or I'm sorry, he redefines forgiveness, reminding us that every one of us has a debt canceled that we could have never repaid. God, in his mercy, paid that debt himself through sending Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. God has forgiven us, and Jesus makes it clear. We are then to forgive others. No more retaliation, no more reciprocating in the kingdom of Jesus came to usher in the just, the noble, the honorable choice is to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice to cancel a debt, and it's a courageous choice. It's every time we see somebody make it, we see the heart of Jesus. So what about you? Do you want to rid your soul of that hurt, anger, bitterness that clutters it? I know I do. All you have to do is choose the simplifying practice of forgiveness. Choose to cancel the debt that you're owed. But how do we even do that? I mean, the first thing we need to do is to acknowledge the debt. You can't forgive a debt that you haven't fully recognized. So I want you to think for just a minute about a person who has hurt you. If you haven't acknowledged that you've been hurt, you can think of a person that you feel angry or bitter towards. A counselor once told me that anger is a protective feeling. It's, it, we have to recognize it for what it is. It's covering up pain that we don't want to feel. Anger is unexpressed pain. And I had been carrying around this anger towards somebody who really just let me down. And my response was to keep her at arm's length, to sort of give her the cold shoulder, to convince myself that I was fine and just move on. Yet still this anger and this bitterness had a grip on me it had a grip on my soul and I couldn't just shake it it just lingered and this counselor challenged me to recognize that every time I feel angry if I just would peel back that layer I would find that I was hurt what I would find is pain anger is unexpressed pain so who has hurt you the first step is to acknowledge that debt right what does this person owe you what did they take from you? What did they rob you of? What isn't a part of your life because of them? Would you all do something that's pretty brave with me today? Would you just grab some paper or make a note on the device that you're watching today with? And would you just take a moment and write down what that person owes you? What is your debt? If you find it too hard to put into words, you can go ahead and just write a letter or a symbol, draw a picture. Maybe they took your childhood or your reputation. Maybe they robbed you of some income. Maybe they shattered your self-worth. Maybe they broke your heart. 
debts are real. Don't excuse them. Don't ignore them. Maybe this person intended to, har to harm you or to hurt you. Maybe they don't even realize they did it. But the important thing in this step is to ask yourself, what was taken from me? What is the debt that I'm owed? We have to start there. Once we do that, then we can move on to bringing God into that equation. So here's the truth. I will never find freedom from the clutter of hurt, of anger, of bitterness while I'm focused on the line. I'm never going to find the motivation to forgive while I'm focused on the pain that someone has caused me. I will only find freedom. I will only find that motivation when I refocus my attention on that triangle. When, I find, when we find ourselves struggling to forgive, we need to divert our attention away from that line between you and me, away from that line, away from the person that hurt us, and refocus our attention on the triangle, onto the one who has forgiven us of a debt that we could never repay. Ask God to help you. Just cry out to him. Ask him for the power to forgive as you have been forgiven. Ask him again and again if you need to. I need to all the time. I sometimes need to ask God to help me to want to forgive. And you know what? He does. He does that. It's great. God can give us the ability to respond to the hurt that someone else has caused in the same way that he responded to us. Do they deserve that? Probably not. But neither did we. Bring God into the equation and let him empower you to take that final step. And that final step is to cancel the debt. So understand that you have the power to do that. In both of those scenes in the story that Jesus told, it was the one who owed the debt, who, the one who was owed the debt, that had the power to choose how to respond. And if you have been hurt, if someone owes you a debt, you have that choice. You have the power and the choice to forgive. So take a look at that note that I hope you made earlier, whether you made it on paper or in your um, device that you're using. Just take a look at that note and write where you wrote down what was owed to you. And we have to look at that debt in order to address it. And then we can decide to cancel it. When deciding that you're no longer going to demand repayment, it's an easy decision. No, it's not. I'm not going to lie. That can be still a very difficult decision, and it's a courageous decision. It, but it's a decision that you have the power to choose. 